The following is brought to you by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Will Harris, and Craig. Hello and welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for... April 28th, 2021. My name is Justin Robert Young. Joining you in Austin, Texas. It's yet to really turn the weather. I know it's coming. I know it's going to be one of them sweltering, sweltering summers like I used to enjoy down there in Florida. Maybe a little less humid. But uh, I'm, I'm very excited. I'm excited to be able to survive such a concept in central air conditioning, which I have not had in damn near a decade. But while it has yet to heat up here in central Texas, it has begun to boil in D.C. Reapportionment is upon us. We now know the winners and losers based on the census, which states are losing House of Representative seats, which states are gaining them, and what does that mean for the Electoral College and the coming redistricting? Also, an interesting story about... Iran and John Kerry surreptitiously recorded audio that may or may not be a bit of an international incident. And not only is Andrew Heaton back, he's live in my new studio. It's got to be great. We're going to talk about Biden's first 100 days. And an interesting new interview with James Carville, where he very specifically spells out some of the problems that he sees with his own party and wokeness. We will get to that. But before we do, I want to play you this. People of the state of New York, yes or no, did you do the things you were accused of? No. No. And that's why I said uh, when when people suggested... uh, uh, yeah, put it very simply, no. No. That's right. That's right. Yes. If Tish James's report comes back and finds the contrary, considering that you've said zero tolerance for sexual harassment in this state, will you discipline yourself or consider resigning? Yeah, the report can't say anything different because I didn't do anything wrong. Yes, our deadbeat dad summer has evolved. I I want to uh, point this out here because I do think that it is a crucial part in what we've been talking about with Governor Andrew Cuomo in New York. See, when all of the sexual harassment allegations started showing up, Cuomo was smart to be very reserved. 
saying that he always respects women, putting women in front of him, saying that they uh, uh, have been elevated to positions that nobody else would uh, elevate them to, but not taking direct aim at the accusers. The next step was the deadbeat dad summer. Let me give you weed. Let me give you sports gambling. Let me give you some free federal money. And yesterday, not federal money, state money. Yesterday, he creates a monument to his strategy out of butter. Yes, a number one blue ribbon award that is batter fried because he is at the Syracuse New York State Fairgrounds to announce that, yes, indeed, the state fair is back and better than ever at the end of the summer. And it was there that he gave those statements. Specifically saying two things. Number one, everybody who says that he sexually assaulted them is lying. He didn't do any of those things. And two, he is now unpinning the expectation that he will take action based on the attorney general's report. That is a very, very important but subtle distinction. When they ask him, hey, you've now said that you didn't do this. If the attorney general's report says otherwise, will you take action? And he says, it can't say otherwise because I didn't do that. That is a very important pretext for him to attack the attorney general. So if the report comes back, when the report comes back and it says, yes, here are the following women that have already gone on the record that say that they were put in a position where they were either sexually assaulted, grabbed and groped without their permission or worse, then we now know Cuomo's response. The attorney general's a partisan. She wants my job. This is not true. I've told you it's not true. I have no idea why these people are making these things up. Deadbeat dad summer. Getting realer every day. You know, we'll only know how this is going to play out when that Tish James report comes back. She's the attorney general sometime in the next few months. But first, the U.S. Census Bureau announced on Monday that Texas, Florida, and North Carolina are among the states that will add congressional seats next year. This is the first time since California was admitted to the union that it's going to lose seats. The numbers also show that our population and political power continue to shift to the south and western part of the country. They call it reapportionment. And much like a movie about King Arthur, they happen about once every decade and nobody really seems all that interested in it. But unlike the movies where they have to reinterpret the sword in the stone in a way that is culturally relevant once every 10 years, reapportionment is important. 
And it does have a lot of ramifications on not only how Congress, but also the Electoral College will operate going forward. So here's how it works. The census reports back once a decade on how many people live in each state and how fast the population is growing. Now, before we go any further on that, let's address some larger issues folks had with the census last year. First, the Trump administration fought to gain final approval on the counting of undocumented immigrants in the census. This was ultimately rejected, but some advocates do say that Trump's hardline immigration tactics there and elsewhere froze participation in some of those groups and might have resulted in fewer taking the census. The second and probably most important is that there was a mother flipping pandemic, which undoubtedly held or hurt participation because the census on some level requires people going out and recording either by knocking on doors or setting up tables in publicly trafficked areas, an easier way for you to be counted. But rules are rules. The census was delayed in its results, but it's here now and we know the results. So since we know how many people are living in each state compared to where they were 10 years ago, we now have our official reapportionment of the House of Representative seats. So, Montana, Oregon, Colorado, North Carolina, and Florida gain one seat. That's because their population has moved at a momentum that is larger than other states. Texas has the distinction of being the only state to gain two House of Representative seats. Meanwhile, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, Illinois, and West Virginia all lose one seat, largely continuing a decades-long trend where Western and Southern states gain population momentum while Northern states decline. This was the biggest uh, change, though, that, 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 that came from these numbers. And it is a massive combo breaker. California, for the first time ever, will lose a district, one representative in the House of Representatives, as a result of a slowing population. So, we now know the mandate from the census to reapportionment. How does this affect the drawing? Of the districts, you know, the gerrymandering of it all. This is according to 538. With legislators and commissions all over the country about to draw new congressional maps, states where Republicans have full control of the redistricting process have added 
two seats on the net, four seats gained, two lost. Meanwhile, the few states where Democrats wield the redistricting pen subtracted one seat on net, one gained, two lost. States with independent redistricting commissions or where two parties share redistricting power also lost a net of one seat, two gained, three lost. As a result, we can now say with finality that Republicans will control the redrawing of 187 congressional districts, that is 43% of the total, or two and a half times as many as the Democrats who will redraw 75 districts, aka 17% of the House of Representatives. Couple fun facts here for you. The GOP fully controls the map in Ohio, which lost one seat. So you really have to watch these states that lost one seat because the question is, which district are they going to eliminate? And oftentimes, if one party has control, they're going to eliminate or make far more difficult a district that a member of the opposite party is in control of. One of the districts on the chopping block in Ohio is Tim Ryan's district in Youngstown. Possibly coincidentally, possibly because he saw the writing on the wall, Ryan announced this week that he is running for Senate. So instead of having his House seat taken away from him and have to run for another one, he's just going to run for Senate. He's got a big enough profile. He, feel like he, he feels like he can do it. But on the other side of the aisle, there's another fascinating thing that might happen. West Virginia is also losing a seat and all of their House districts are controlled by the Republicans. That means that there will now only be room for, uh, or there's room for one less, and there is a high likelihood that we are going to see in the next few months an incumbent versus incumbent primary battle. So two sitting representatives running against each other for the the likely amalgam of their old uh, uh the, the old districts to see who represents that seat. I don't know why. I, I love this stuff. I'm, I guess I'm just a nerd. But again, this also affects the electoral college. And this model will be here not only for the 2024 race, but also the 2028 race. Because remember, it's not until 2030 that we take another census and do another reapportionment. Now, for those of you who don't remember, the Electoral College is determined by the number of representatives per state plus the two senators. And the shifting is largely good for Republicans. For example, if the 2020 race had been contested with this count, 
Biden's 306 electoral college votes to 232 for Trump would have been a scooch closer. Biden would have won 303 to 235. So looking forward, the big thing that we are going to keep an eye on here is the redrawing of the map. And timetable-wise, that's likely not going to happen until later this year. In fact, a, a, a lot of state legislatures uh, have deadlines for that in the like September to November range. But considering we don't have any big blockbuster electoral races this year in 2021. My suspicion is the hand wringing over gerrymanding and redistricting is going to be pretty loud. And we'll do our best on this program to try and suss out, you know, the, the, uh, uh realistic truth of it. Where I tend to go is that the Democrats are not great at state politics. They've become more and more a federal party. Their biggest stars are folks that uh, uh, work on a national level that can appeal to major funding bases in New York and L.A. I, I don't quite see the kind of state-level local politics messages that the Democratic Party is, is able to push forward in, in all but the bluest of blue, 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 blue states. And that's going to really come back to haunt them in, in this next six months because they don't have control of a lot of state houses. They haven't contested a lot of state houses or governor's mansions. And as we start to come up, on another round of that, if I'm in Democratic leadership and I'm looking at a 10-year plan, that's something that I really want to focus on flipping. Because you might be able to raise a lot of money on the fact that the big old mean Republicans are, are redrawing the map and that's perverting democracy or whatever. But you had a chance to stop this. And they haven't been able to appeal, craft a message that gets them into governor's mansions and state houses. And now they got to pay that bill. Interesting foreign policy news involving John Kerry, once secretary of state, now special envoy for Joe Biden on climate change. A Parisian magazine focused on Iranian affairs released a recording with Iranian Foreign Minister Mohammad Javad Sarif made months ago. In it, Sarif says that Kerry informed him about attacks by Israel on Iranian interests in Syria. Depending on when this happened, it would be some level of international incident. You know, an American official dishing to the Iranians an enemy. 
about the actions of Israel, an ally. Those kinds of things are frowned upon. Then again, I don't really know if anybody in Israel would be shocked that John Kerry, the father of the Iran nuclear deal, isn't exactly a friend of Israel. Now, Kerry immediately denied that he'd said any such thing, saying that he had not told the Iranians about those attacks either after he was out of the Secretary of State position and certainly not while he was in that position. A Biden State Department spokesman put a little bit more wiggle room around it. Quote, I would just make the broad point that if you go back and look at the press reporting from the time, this certainly was not a secret. The governments that were involved were speaking about it publicly and on the record. So it goes from I didn't do it or if I did do it, it wasn't a big deal since everyone knew anyway. Here's my thought. The larger issue in these leaked recordings is that the Iranian foreign minister says that he had very little control over the country and that the Republican Guard, then headed by Qasim Soleimani, really called the shots. This, to me, adds fuel to the fire that the nuclear deal was made with people who didn't have control to do what was required of them in the deal. That the Republican Guard was the real force on whether or not the nation had a nuclear missile or weapons or energy. This is a particularly interesting question to get a refresher on as the Biden administration ponders re-entering that deal. And I think that many people suspect that is a when, not an if. One thing has certainly changed, and that's the fact that Soleimani isn't controlling anything anymore. He, of course, was killed in an American drone strike in January of 2020. I'm going to try and sell you things right now, but I want to let you know that this is a true-to-life testimony. This Friday, I got in the mail, and I'm almost positive I'm the first person to do it because I ordered this shirt from myself on politicsmerch.com. I got my COVID shots equals body shots tank top. And within 24 hours of me opening up that package and seeing the beautiful Heather Gray tank, the stunning teal lettering, the powerful, important message that indeed, because I got vaccinated, I can get vaccinated. I, within 24 hours, built a karaoke room in my house and I sang karaoke songs until 
the wee hours of the morning with a friend of mine that I had not seen in over a year. In over a year. It was an amazing night. A night that gave me a white claw induced hangover that rattled well into Sunday afternoon. And I did it while clad in my COVID shots equal body shots tank top. Now, can I prove that if you go to politicsmerch.com and you buy a COVID shots equals body shots, that you will have a absolute awesome time? No. But can you prove that you won't? Absolutely not. Then that means that there's only one way to find out. Our best-selling shirt on the site, by far. Uh, 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 guys, I, I need you to tag me in your pictures. Tag at Justin R. Young on Instagram. Tag uh, at Justin R. Young on Twitter. When you get your shirts, because I know there's a lot of them going out, I need you guys to tag me because I want to spread the word. This summer is too important. The health of our species is on the line. COVID shots equals body shots. Politicsmerch.com is where you get them shirts. guest today is no stranger to the program. He is an old friend of politics, politics, politics. He was just on two weeks ago, but now he's live uh, in the studio and I couldn't be happier. Andrew Heaton, welcome back to the program. I am thrilled to be back on the program. I am thrilled to be back in your presence, Justin. This oh, it's it's so good to just be making eye contact with you. I and guess we, we haven't we haven't seen each other since the election, right? Or since no, since November, yeah, that's right? the last time. I, I think yeah, I sailed off into the sunset, and and uh, you you said very firmly nothing bad would happen, and Trump would admit defeat, and everybody would go home. And I said I think you're wrong, and I just drove away, and that was it. <laughs> that was it. That was that's how I remember uh, <laughs> when I when I left Oakland. Yeah, uh, and uh, and now here you're in Austin at this five-story mansion that you've got. Exactly. Uh, and uh, uh, you have multiple... We're, we're, we are not working... Pre- previously, when you and I have worked together, it's usually um, in in your place that was very multifaceted, yeah. your old place in Oakland, or it was out of my scamp, or it was in a hotel room where we'd like flip the couches over to use them as sound yes. guards. So it was no always, ma- no matter what our knees were always touching, right? Yes. Like, like it, it was always felt like cramped Ikea had created our work environment <laughs> in a, you know, 50 square foot area that we had Here to work out of ideas for a 50 square foot podcast <laughs> studio. <laughs> so, yeah, so delighted to be back and delighted to be here. Uh, I am, I am, I'm very, very pumped to have you. And uh, uh, also because, this article started making the rounds on Tuesday. What is your what is your general opinion on on James Carville? I mean, he seems like an okay guy. I mean, like I, I like first thing that popped into my mind is I actually really like the fact that his wife's a Republican and that he that was like the famous thing. Yeah, he's Mary, he, he, no, well, he's he's an example of like, her name. Uh, I I don't recall her name, but she, I want to say Mary Matlin, but I I think that's an actress. Yeah, but I. I like in in DC 
for good and for ill, there's a vibe that takes place that doesn't it doesn't quite proliferate through the rest of the, the political media ecosystem. And that is, hey, this, Mary Matlin, Mary Matlin, yeah. this is just a job or this is just a game. There's a lot of people that just view it as a game. And that understandably people that are like, you know, rendered uh, um, uh, homeless or jobless by people playing this game and then cackling and drinking together. I get why there's animosity there, but I like that there are people in D.C. that just it's like, hey, it's a job. You and I have a different viewpoint. It doesn't mean that you are an evil person who wants to destroy the world. And I think James Carville and his wife are a very good example of that, of being in different parties, but being in a partnership themselves. It is even that, even that origin feels like something that couldn't exist in the way that it existed in the 90s when they got famous, where it was like that was a like heartwarming element of politics. And even as they were both firebrands in their own world and especially through the Clinton impeachment, there was this idea that like, well, like it was almost like, like a supercharged version of like uh, uh, Reagan and delay. Where yeah. It was like, well, no, I'm, I'm it's, like, those... like oh, it's like Reagan and delay, but they, but they screw at the end of the night. It, it, it's like that, that cart, like the, the old uh, Tom and Jerry cartoon where like they all rock up in the morning and they're like, ah, oh, morning, Tom, morning, Bert. And they all like punch in and then they fight each other and try to kill each other. And yeah. then the bell rings. Like I get that vibe from it. I like that. That was it. And that couldn't really happen now. Like it wouldn't be something that you would necessarily even want to, uh, you know, publicize. Like I feel like even people that are probably friends across the aisle don't say like, oh, well, I'm friends. You know, if if, if AOC was friends with Matt Gates because they just both liked they were the, watching they were, they were the same football. orientation class and they yeah. bonded because they were playing uh, a paper football while they were going through the ethics just thing. Whatever. Like they, they wouldn't say that because the money's too important. And also like social media makes you need to want to like people on a deeper level than just the job. Like you want to also like, oh no, all of my opinions like match with yours. And the amount of seriousness that I take from what you're saying needs to match yours as well. And I wouldn't be friends with somebody from across the aisle because they are blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. So, or, or alternately, if you had one person in, in politics and one person who wasn't, but they had a different political opinion, um, I could see that being like a Meghan Markle interview type situation where it's yeah. like, how do we gin this up to get some press attention? Oh, oh, like, oh man, I'm, I'm dating a Republican and I love him, but uh, and figuring out how to use that as a propulsive force, whereas it was just kind of cute with them. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, right. Shots fired at Meghan Markle. I'm on the side <laughs> of the telegraph. That's right. I think she's full of it. I think she's an opportunist. I'll say it. Come at me. I could not. Prince Philip was less. a very funny man. If you were like, <laughs> if you, if you were to like draw the things that like, and, and like, honestly, I've watched probably four or five episodes of Suits, and I was like, it's a fine show. It's a show that Meghan Markle was on. I've oh, okay. watched all, all the seasons of The Crown. I'm like, great show. I don't know whether or not the real uh, royal family are the Sopranos, or they're just like this like very odd British family. I don't know, but I, I like it. Beyond that, no interest. Like, uh -huh. I, I have zero, I, I, I don't wrap my head around the fascination with the aristocracy, except to say that if the point of celebrity in general is that it is a North star for which we can model our lives, not, not to say that we want to be them, but we can say, 
oh, they're revered and known by everybody. There's some tribal, uh, you know, uh, hard-coded element to our genetics that we're like, oh, they're known by a lot of people. That's like a pack thing. We're just like looking ahead at them, but she's fat or he's dumb. Like that, that we feel better about ourselves or we look at them and we feel not as good because they're better. I guess on that level, I get the royal family, but I have no concept of, of why the, at least the, the Markle and, and Harry thing was to the level that it was. I guess in Britain, maybe. I, 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 there, there does seem to be a dumb facet of humanity that's in us. That that I have with people that were in Star Trek. If there's gossip yes. about William Shatner, as much as I want to like absolutely crap on tabloids and the obsession with the royal family, if it turns out that Patrick Stewart is having an affair, I would like to know about it. I want to <laughs> I want to see the pictures that Patrick will, Stewart's I having. Right. So that Google that alert. is my royal family. Uh, I, I, there seems to be this weird endemic thing where. Um, I can't find this study. And in fact, if anybody in your in your show knows the study, please contact me because I really want to read it. But I, I read about it a few years ago and the study was they took chimps and they gave them an option. They, they gave them you can either have a banana or you can have a picture of the alpha chimp. Which one would you want? And they picked the picture of the alpha chimp. They would rather gaze at the picture of the alpha chimp than get the potassium. And that seems to me to be emblematic of a very dumb but innate part of human nature, which yeah. is for some reason we crave having somebody at the top of a hierarchy. We want them to exist. And then once we create them, we want them to love us. We can't just not yeah. have them. We have to have somebody there. And that's all there. And uh, my my thing with with the Markle thing, I'm not I'm not that interested in the royal family. I don't really care that much. Oh, but, oh so, so you have this is an actual take. That, that wasn't a joke. Yeah, well, no, the, the only thing that bothered me because I did research ahead, all the Piers. org charts. Go ahead, Piers Morgan. All the org charts while I was over there. Uh, you don't like if if just because you're a prince doesn't mean your kid's a prince. And so when she's like, well, they're not naming our kid a prince, I guess, because he's black. And I'm like, but nobody else that far down the throne gets to be a prince either. So you're just gaming it. You're just trying to use it for PR. Anyway, that I don't like people abusing systems. I believe in the universal application of rules. I am hardcore, hardcore lawful good. And when these chaotic people come in yeah. and try to game the rules, it pisses me off. So the rules up to and including... The, the, Change them. It's the fine. The divine right of monarchy for which like like she is like that's how much you'll defend rules. The divine right of monarchy is something that you are now caping up for because indeed she is daring to fudge that element of it. She it is a very dumb rule. This the whole monarchy <laughs> is such a stupid rule. We, we the, literally the, the, the head of the English state is an old woman who until three weeks ago was married to an ancient Greek vampire and she wears teapots on her head. That's yeah. their head of state, right? It's all From ridiculous. Family. It's all, yeah, it's all ridiculous. All ridiculous, right? Yeah. No, the, the, the thing that irritates me though is it's like there is a system in place and somebody coming in and going like, uh, I want all the benefits of that system. I want like... I'm sorry to go off on this tangent here. That's fine. But they're like, you know what? We'll eventually get to they, our topic. They quit giving us money. And I'm like, do you remember when you publicly said you weren't going to do your job anymore? And now they're not giving you money? Right. That's how it works for all of us. You decided you didn't want to do stuff with the royal family anymore. And now they, they cut your allowance off. Like, shut the f*** up. Sorry, yeah. I, I, I apologize. But just, fine. you know, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Cut all this stuff. I'm sorry. This, none of this was no, Jermaine. This Please cut all of this. In. No, th I think people are going to very much enjoy it. James Carville. Yeah. Let's get back to American politics. Gave an interview to Sean Illing of Vox. And apparently it started 
as just Illing asking about Biden's first 100 days, which I was going to talk to you about. And this is why I wind up, I, I called the audible here because uh, uh, Carville went off on this rant. It didn't uh, stay on the 100 days for long because uh, Carville had this quote. Honestly, if we're just talking about Biden, it's very difficult to find anything to complain about. To me, his biggest attribute is that he's not into faculty lounge politics. Mm. And that has become the like the, the, the topic du jour of, uh, of, of, of Twitter today. The idea of faculty lounge politics. Carville explains it further. You ever get the sense that people in faculty lounges and fancy colleges use different language than ordinary people? They come up with a word like Latinx that nobody else uses. I'll, and I'll do my James Carville impression. They come up with a word like Latinx that nobody else uses. Well, they use a phrase like communities of color. I don't know anybody who speaks like that. I don't know anybody who lives in a community of color. I know a lot of folks who are white and black and brown people, and they all live in neighborhoods. He goes on to say there's nothing uh, inherently wrong with these phrases, but this is not how people talk. This is not how voters talk. And doing it anyway is a signal that you're talking one language and the people that you want to vote for you are speaking another. This stuff is harmless in one sense, but in another sense, it's not. So what I wanted to talk to you about is faculty lounge politics. Sure. Do you think that the Democratic Party specifically now is burdened by the idea of faculty lounge politics. Yes. I'm not going to call it that. I'm going to call it the managerial class. But yes, I think that that's a thing. And I think James Carville is very intelligent to... Carville, I, th I think, understands the lay of the, the land better than a lot of the other Democratic strategists. And there's, there's a whole class of, of Democratic activists right now that are like, if only we could get Lena Dunham to make a conversational... Uh, uh, a, a conversational video about Earth Day, then we can, it's like, no, 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 that's not, you're, you're playing to this tiny, tiny fractional base of people based on volume yeah. rather than based on statistics. Like if I were the Democrats, this is what I would be worried about right now is the Democratic Party is no longer the party of labor. It's the party of the managerial class. If, yes. you, if you work on Wall Street or you work on Silicon Valley or you work in media or you work in government and you have a master's degree, you're probably a Democrat. You're a union person. You're a blue collar worker. You work in a a, 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 a a dishwasher factory. Decent chance you voted for Trump over the last two terms. And that should scare the hell out of Democrats. And there, there are folks like Thomas Frank, who is like an old school labor Democrat, who's trying to push that populist left towards Bernie Sanders and towards yeah. labor socioeconomics. Um and then there's this other strain that's like, well, we'll just go woke and we'll we'll like we'll make it all about identity in a way that does not appeal not only to the broader American public, but does not appeal to all of the ethnic groups which are allegedly being fought for behalf, on behalf of these people. The, the, the woke crowd is demonstrably uh, a very white crowd compared to the rest. Carville is spot on when he says that like. The, the 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 Latins are Latinx Latinx yeah um I just imagine him saying it saying it as Latinx 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 I don't have the statistics in front of me but I'm I'm not I'm not off by an order of magnitude when I say that uh, Hispanic people Latino people by an order of magnitude uh, I, I'm I'm close are about five percent identify as such the other ninety five percent are Latino or Latina yeah and the people that are going 
that's sexist and gendered are white people like me that are going to a group of brown people and telling them how to talk. And like, I, I do not think that that is a smart play for the Democratic Party. There was a moment during the Democratic National Convention when it ended, and this is supposed to be the, the Biden convention. This is, oh man, like uh, we're, we're all in this together. Let's end this national nightmare. No matter what, I'm a, a, a friendly, responsible face. That's not Trump. We're not talking about defund the police. We're not talking about all this. We're, let's just take COVID seriously. This is very common sense, very Joe Biden. And it ended with Billy Porter who is the star of the, I believe it's on FX drag show pose singing uh, uh, one of the sixties protest songs with, I think a, a, a heritage rocker of, of some sort. Right. And I was like, who's this for? Like not to say that Billy Porter can't do, and he's in like a big loud costume and everything. And it's like, not to say that Billy Porter doesn't have, a role at the Democratic National Convention. Sure. You know, but like when that's the exclamation point, I just wonder, like, I think the people that are really into pose, they're going to vote for Joe Biden. <laughs> like you're not appealing. Like they're not the people that you need to win over. Like you, you need to win over people that are going to be like, well, I, I really liked it, but I don't know who this guy is and I don't know why he's singing this song and why the outfit's so weird. Like, and, and it gets beyond the idea of, I think, inherent homophobia or anything. It just becomes this idea of, well, we want, if you're the, a democratic uh, strategist, we want to live in a post-racial society. We want, or no, sorry, not even post-racial. No, sorry. We want to live in a, post-justice society, whatever yeah, that yeah. means, whatever we need to do to get there. And we, we're going to kind of like- And there's very clear bright lines and very demonstrable objectives which could be achieved and it would all be put to bed when they are, for sure. Exactly. Like, And so I think it leads to, and when he, what, what, uh, if I could fill out Carvel's idea, is the idea of like, hey, do we even know who came up with- Latinx, and I'm sure that there is a thing that you can look it up, and it's somebody who may or may not have been in a faculty lounge, but it's like, it wasn't, you know, uh, uh, Cesar Chavez. Like, he wasn't, like, saying, like, si se puede, and also, by the way, uh, uh, we're all Latinx now. Like, it, it wasn't an, uh, some iconic bedrock thing. This is a new idea, and I think a lot of people, especially on the left and in the Democratic Party, just become sort of afraid to be the person who says, I don't know what this means and I'm confused about it. Why are we calling homeless people unhoused now? And is it, it's, it's by POC and, and, and like it's LBGTQA plus have we added any letters since like, and it's good hearted, good meaning people that don't want to screw up. But eventually when, the, the 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 lexicon kind of changes you are sacrificing even if you're doing it for the sake of being more accurate you're sacrificing a connection or a, at least a possible connection to people right yeah no i think you're absolutely right about that i it, it um i i am 
about as socially tolerant and liberal and open-minded as you come. I, like I am a thousand percent in favor of you as an adult doing whatever makes you happy as long as you don't. I, I'm a hedonist, capital H hedonist and on all of that stuff. Right. Yeah. And uh, um, so, so I'm, I'm with the progressive crowd minus the sanctimony. Like if you take, if you take that stuff and you remove the, the sanctimony from it, I'm with them. Yeah. And one of the things that I have observed over the last couple of years as somebody who is like, I don't know a lot about transgender issues, but I am my default is on on their side is going like, I don't know. So like, yeah, you until unless something else comes up, I'm with you and I support yes. you and I'm, I'm on yeah. board with you. Right. So that's where I'm coming from. Uh, and I when I talk to there's lots of people in the country who are they're aware going back to the George Floyd protests, uh, they're they're aware that we need to have a national conversation about things. They know this and they want to have a national conversation. And what we've been saying is. It's so important we have a national conversation about race, and it's so important that we have an, uh, a, 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 a real conversation about these things. By the way, if you say the wrong thing, we're going to ruin you. We're going <laughs> to ruin your life. We're going we're gonna to cast you out from your social network, and we're going to destroy your livelihood. Now, come on. Let's sit and have this conversation. Weirdly, people don't like feeling terrified when you invoke them. And, and again, I like it, it's not in my experience, it's not coming from minorities. It's coming from upper middle class white people who went to nicer high schools than me and bully me when I'm at parties. That's who this is coming from. Like I like I, I have a sci-fi podcast. Um, I, I did Watchmen uh, and I yeah. talked to a, a guy named Hannibal Johnson, who's a black attorney from uh, Tulsa about the Tulsa race riots. Yeah. And it was a good but uncomfortable conversation. Um, there were several times where I had a different take on it than him. And he would just be like, I disagree with you. And we moved. There was no uh, there was no I never felt that he was looking he was waiting opportunistically for a moment to use me as a dunking board to show off to his friends about how great he was by, by pointing out how awful I was. I thought he actually wanted to have a conversation with me. And that is my general experience. There is another crowd of people that are endeavoring to score points based off of how much they know and, and, and how, how good they are. And they tend to come up with a lot of terms on a regular basis. I don't think entirely because they are useful. Sometimes they are, but a lot of the time just to show the gap between them and other people. And it becomes a kind of hierarchical status thing. And everybody else in America despises them for it in the same way that everybody rightly despises religious people in middle America who want to preen about how great they are because they went to the church bake sale or they read Leviticus or whatever. Uh, and, and it's that kind of sanctimony that becomes an issue. I, I really do wonder what the point is beyond just knowing the secret code. Like, like, is it just an identifier, an identifier that like I'm with it? Like I know the latest protocols, like, like I am uh, uh, going to demonstrate how much I care. And, and I think that is a defining element of our own society that this is an awakening society that we are, that we are looking back and we're saying, Oh, wow. Well, okay. What was said 10 years ago almost certainly couldn't be said. And I, I, I'm, it, it's crazy that we made all these 80s movies where like date rape and sexual assault were these like laughable high five moments for the heroes to to conduct like like in, in the third act, like right before the credits rolled. Like that is a an element that I think is good and healthy Agreed. in society. Very that much so. Great. Yeah. And so maybe, I don't want to like live in the movie Porgies. No, I, I'm exactly. not a Porgies apologist. But at the same time, is does that feed the idea that like, oh, no, 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 I'm now 
I'm further along. Like I'm, I'm trying, I'm, I'm, I'm efforting. And, and, and I don't want to get into this because I, I do know that like, it's very easy. And we've done it on this show a bunch. And, and, uh, uh Musa Al-Garbi is, is probably one of my favorite people. I, I just time. had him on, on the other day to talk about the managerial class. And I think I poached him from you. So thank you for He's, that, by the no, way. Yeah. The best Big laugh. Fan. Did you get him to laugh? Yeah. Best laugh yeah. in business. Uh, there is a man who's played Dungeons and Dragons at some point in his life. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am very confident of this. Uh, but yeah, he, he's, uh, uh, he spelled it out really, really well by, by the numbers. And by the way, if you look at the census that just came out, like it tells a very clear tale that like, it's not only just the union crowd for which, uh, uh, you just spelled out. It's also black and brown people. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, know, Trump made inroads with Trump in 2016 outperformed Mitt Romney with, with black and Hispanic voters. And he outperformed himself in 2020. That that is astonishing for a Republican. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, insane. And, and, and with Muslims for that matter. And, and, and and also with, uh, on the border, like Hispanics on the border, theoretically, if we're going by this, like harm, identification theory that the people that are harmed the most need the most attention. Hispanics who live on the border of the United States that Trump made his central point. They were like, I want to vote for Trump more than they ever have before. Mm. Uh, uh, they are, they are, are, are balancing the scales on some level uh, with all the California cucks like me that are, that are filtering out to the Lone Star state. So it's like, uh, that's, that is an interesting, an interesting thing is that like, is this literally just white people who want to make themselves feel better? So, okay. Yes. So I, I've, I have several thoughts on this. So um, prior to saying you, I just spent the last five days in the Ozark national forest working in the scamp on a book about tribalism. Okay. Tentatively called tribalism is dumb. Okay. And we uh, thought a lot about this. So I think you're absolutely right to say that we, we should acknowledge um, there should be things that we go, you know what? That's an inappropriate thing to say. We need to retire that. Uh, like, like I grew up using the word gypped as a verb and like in my thirties was like, wait a minute, are we just saying gypsy is a verb as yeah. in like an ethnic group is like a thieving group of people. And I, we don't have this in Oklahoma, but apparently in other States they say juped. And I'm like, totally get why that's what? offensive. I, it's a thing. I, if you say, if you've ever in your words said juped, you need to email. I'll read you uh, anonymously, but I refuse to believe that people use juped. I, I am told. I'm told by a woman that I went on some dates with that this was a. a, a I, I. I mean, look. I. I, I demure, but I, I. I've heard other anti-Semitic yeah. slurs toward <laughs> people being uh, cheap or deceitful, but but I don't know if I've ever heard juped. I, I have not heard it either. But let's say theoretically that it did exist. I think. Yeah. I, I could go you know what? I totally get why that's offensive. And if I were using it, I would want to, to take it out of my vocabulary. They're, they're, they're absolutely, as somebody who's very skeptical of wokeism, there, there definitely is a place to go. Uh, this is inappropriate. We need to quit doing that. We, like, yes, that's all there, right? So having established that, uh, in terms of the use of this language and in terms of creating new terms and more terms and that kind of thing, um, I, I think that it, it does go to this kind of tribal evolutionary impulse we've got where we want to be on a team. Yeah. We want to, we want to, um, we want to advance in that team. We want to be, we want to be in a higher, we, we want to be high up in the hierarchy. We want to have high status within that team. So with, within a group of people, there's generally two ways that you, you level up. You either do it through prestige or you do it through dominance. And uh, the 
the hunter gatherer version of this would be um, I come back and I'm lugging uh, an antelope carcass yeah. and I'm like, look, I killed an antelope. And then everybody goes, well done, Gerald. You should be the chief <laughs> because you are a very good hunter, right? The other way would be like with chimps and gorillas and things and with humans where we, the, the alpha shoves people around and they go, don't mess with that guy, right? And language can be used for both of these things. And, and you see the, the prestige element where um, I, I know lots of information pertinent to our tribe and I am a morally laudable person. And for that reason, I should be esteemed high. Uh, because I know these things and I, and I don't, I, I'm picking on woke people, but I think that this is a human phenomenon. Yeah. I, I grew up in Oklahoma in the eighties and nineties. And I can tell you, there were a lot of religious people that said all sorts of things that were designed to preen in front of other people. So they knew that they were good and they should be esteemed more. I see that the reason that I, I react so viscerally to woke people is because I've already lived through this with religious conservative people. And I'm yeah. not looking forward to going through it a second time. And then uh, on the other side, it can be used for dominance. Uh, I, I, I think I, I know that I've mentioned this to you before, but before I left New York, I was throwing a garden party and I, I mentioned that I was, we were out in our courtyard and that I, I was like, I'm dating a woman in Astoria. And one of my friends went, you mean woman? And then beamed beatifically at everyone around me. And I was I, like, I was so aware that I, she didn't care. She, wait, wait, she, wait, 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 you say girl and she said woman. Yes. And, oh, and okay. this was a, I had committed a faux pas. I had, I had gone through four years of UCB training and never had this presented to me as a problem. Yeah. And UCB is very PC. Right. And, uh, and then there was this period for about six months where this was a thing and then it declined and it was, and it was, a, a, I think what was happening in that instance was somebody went, I know I can slap Heaton down and I can do it publicly and everybody will see me do it and they'll know that I outrank him and that I am fierce. And I, and again, this, this could happen in any context, but I think yeah. language is used for this regularly of preening and dominance. And I do think, especially on that line, there is an element of, uh, you know, inherent misogyny that like it's, 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 and this is an internet thing is that nobody's really going after the person that they're going after. They're going after this idea that they believe this person represents and never in our, our civilization do I believe that we have found that bar to be lower. Like, you know, there was some poor schlub who is like, a Disney fanboy that wrote some stupid op-ed in uh, the the Orlando Sentinel, I think it was, about like how Disney's too woke now, and it's it's ruining his experience at the Disney park. Number one, I just want to point out to people the amount of op-eds that are written even today in newspapers, and God, back when those things were making money. You can't imagine the number that were being published and written that nobody cared about. You want to know why? Because it's your right not to give a rat's ass about these op-eds if you don't want to. But this guy became a massive uh, uh, element of scorn. Not because anybody really cares about this op-ed in the Orlando Sentinel, which would have come and went like everything else on the Orlando Sentinel website then, now, and forever. But because he's the avatar for everything else, he's every Ben Shapiro monologue they didn't like. Yeah. He's every person who pushed them around when, when they were younger. Like there's this, we have never been more so ready 
to amalgamize so much into just a random dickwad online than we are now. And it was like, James Gunn comes in and he's just tomahawk dunking on this guy. And people are like, yeah, what a hero James Gunn is. And look, James Gunn's fine. I'm looking forward to Suicide Squad and the next uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. But like, are you a hero? You're a big famous director who like, yes, you went through your trials and tribulations, but also you wound up getting all your jobs back and and you're you're on top of your game right now. Are you really the good guy when when you're like slamming the the, the schlub who writes an op-ed in the Orlando Sentinel? I like when it comes to Twitter and dunking and social media and all of that stuff, I am increasingly enraged at this sort of default state that we've come to of I've done my part. I had feelings and I commented about them. That's my part of the world is like, I said this thing to this person. Um, I, I, I think about this a surprising amount. How many tweets do you need to make before it's equal to $1 of charitable giving? I, or how many impressions? Like, what is your activism worth in terms of raising awareness? Yeah. And I'd say, like, let, let's say you would need to probably reach a thousand people with your hot take on this individual before I think it would do any good. A dollar. A more dollar's than, than a worth dollar. Good. Yeah. yeah. I, I'd say about a thousand people of th- this guy is uh, too, too worked up about something that's meaningless, blah, 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 blah. I, it would be better if you donated a dollar to anything. And I, I, didn't you have somebody on your program about a year ago that talked about how politics has kind of become like a hobbying sport and that sort of inoculated people to actually go volunteer and donate? Yes. Yeah, I, I I would love to talk to him because I think he's spot on. Uh, I I the 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 sort of idea that we can contribute by loudly shouting our opinion and then we're done I think is nonsense. I like the idea that um, somebody that has an incorrect opinion um, that has foster kids and and goes to a a a, 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 a like a soup kitchen every week is somehow less than somebody that just tweets the right stuff. Like I, I'm, I'm very bothered by that. That, and that again, I think that goes back to that kind of preening model of, I am saying the right things publicly. Did you see that? Good. I've done my thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, you know, to get back, let, let, let's circle back to Carville as we kind of wrap up from his perspective. And let me, let me also go back to one of the earlier points. I love Carville. I don't know if I always loved Carville, but I love Carville the most now because at the very least, he's the only person that when I see him, I think I'm actually getting his opinion at the thing he does the best, which is try to win elections. Like he just gives election advice and eventually he in this interview he gets into a thing it's like well the problem is that democrats don't lie the way that republicans do and blah 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 it's like all right he gets to the talking points but he mostly leads with the idea of like hey we have to talk to these amount of people you're not talking to these amount of people at the end of the day elections are about getting people into a booth and having them hit a button so it's like you can't do that if they don't understand what the hell you're saying or they feel alienated by it and I, I just love, like, because even the people that do it now, and for all I know, there are a lot of amazing, great, brilliant campaign 
managers and pundits and everything. But you'd never know because when they go on television, all they do is just repeat talking points instead of saying, hey, I think that fundraising needs to go uh, on, on this different direction or we need to, to do more direct mailing or we need to yeah. do less. It's like all the things that I want to talk about on here. It's like, God, I would love if, if there was if there was just more of a little bit of that. You can eventually get to the talking points, eventually say that the other side's vampires and, and you are, are the only people with holy water. But for God's sakes, you actually have to get up and do a job. You got to turn a crank every goddamn day. And it's not yelling talking points at your staff. It's about telling them how to win an election. I, I had a radio show when I was in college and uh, I interviewed the head of college Republicans, the head of college Democrats, the head of college libertarians. And um, like the, the first question I had for the, maybe the first or third question I had for the head of the Republicans was um, you clearly like the Republican party. What's something What's something the Republicans aren't good at? And he went, you know, I just wish Republicans were better at explaining how we would help America. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh my God. And like, there's, there's a lot of that, of, yeah. of the, uh, if only, you know, uh, like, like there's, what is it? Uh, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't watch the series, uh, uh, newsroom, uh, the Aaron Sorkin thing. Oh Jesus. Yeah. Uh, but, but I did see the first episode and there's a moment where the, the, nominally neutral character is tongue lashing the Republican and Democrat. The Republican, he's like, you guys are a bunch of dumb jock bigots and Democrats. You're so smart. How come you keep losing elections? And I was like, wait a minute. So his like his horrible, fiery fusillade of, of critique is the Republicans are like dumb jock bigots yeah. and the Democrats are smart, but they don't win. And exactly, I was like, this yeah. is not an equal. <laughs> they would be. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the Republicans are, 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 Proto Neanderthal Hitlers, who if they ever realized that they uh, could be Hitler, but the Democrats uh, are also wonderfully nuanced. They can't work together to combat the problem. Yeah. Well, but that's that's just all you know. Uh, uh, R.I.P. Mondale, who who left us uh, uh, over the last week, but it's like that, like uh, uh, Mondale Adlai Stevenson idea of like, and even Bernie Sanders now. Bernie Sanders is kind of like filled in that mold for for a whole nother generation of like. Like, man, like they're all right. Like everything they they said is totally true and definitely correct. But couldn't win the election. You want to know why? Because the world sucks too bad. (laughs) Anyway, we'll blame capitalism or football. Uh, Probably both. Uh, Because I don't know any socialist countries that have a functional sporting league. Before we wrap up, can I, can I throw a question to you that I'm, I'm curious about? Yeah. So, you know, we're talking about, we're, we're, we're alluding to woke people and political correctness mm-hmm. and all these different things. And one of the things that, that noting that there are so few people of color that are using these terms and thinking about these terms, right? That it's a disproportionately white, upper middle-class, yeah. hyper-educated thing is not then the blowback to it from conservative outlets and from conservative publications also wildly, massively, inappropriately large. And I say that just because it's, if it is in fact this tiny minority and it's not emblematic of everybody, then isn't the the reaction coming from the conservative publications of the world oh, just blowing it out of proportion? Of yeah. I mean, I, I, I think where it is as problematic as the idea that it would be applied to another element of society, 
right? So it's like, yes, if 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 Joe Biden uh, 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 bows to the, the 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 Japanese prime minister and wears a mask during whatever, it's like the idea that he does that probably not all that harmful, mm. right? Yes, being blown out of proportion. Where I think the the fear is, at least that fear that generates the interest in those conservative media stories is when it's like, oh, well, now my school board really also wants to keep ahead of this thing. And so now my kid's going to get suspended for, for saying Latino instead of Latinx or mm. something like that. Okay. And I don't know whether or not it's real, uh, uh, but I do know that that's the fear that drives that is like the idea that this is seeping beyond political messaging. And, and now if everyone's trying to keep track, uh, keep up with the Joneses, that the people that are trying to keep up with the Joneses are actually pulling levers that matter in positions like school and government and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in, in general, I mean, if, if we are to assume that partisan media are on one level or another organs of their parties, their corresponding parties, and their job is to create more uh, uh, voters for those parties, then yes, you would probably do a better job if you were conservative media creating a new version of the Waltons that like just subtly kind of reinforced these like anti-woke ideas than having Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity foam at the mouth anytime, you know, something uh, uh, you know, the, the little Nas X twerks on the devil or something like that. I, I would, I would say, yes, that, that would probably be a better way for them to create new uh, 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 voters. If, if we're presuming that that's kind of what their job actually is. Yeah, no, if, if they were to create culture, I think that that would be the best thing. Uh, I, I, I think uh, um, politics tends to lag behind culture. And uh, it, just in terms of, you know, day to day stuff, having been in the belly of the beast, it's several different publications. Uh, um, crazy stuff gets clicks. And, and I'll also say, like, I'm not taking pot shots at any particular group here, but um, uh, it's much easier to take anecdotal examples of egregious behavior and going, this is how they are, folks. This is how they are. And, yeah. and, and using that is just a, a way to activate that back of our brain tribalism impulse of existential threat. A tiger's coming over the hill. Quick, everybody quit thinking and unite. Uh, and and uh, so I, I, I tend to, even though I am, I, I find the woke crowd exhausting. I don't find them dangerous. I guess that's a better way of putting where I'm at. I think the culture yeah. war is really overblown. I think it's really overplayed. But yes, generally I'm like, okay, you're very twee. Got it. You're very special. And the problem, and this gets into a larger thing, and we're going to have to cut it off here or else we'll, we'll, we'll go all I'll night. I'll promise not to talk about Prince is, Philip again. This is another 45 <laughs> minutes. But talk about hard-coded elements into our, our brains. We are bred to understand, okay, if we'll have it once... Ah, whatever. Sometimes a bird shits on me. Like, uh, I'll just make sure that I, I stay away from birds, right? Happens twice. It's like, all right, hold on. Like, what's going on? If it happens three times, then you're like, 
somebody is deliberately shooting bird shit at me. Like, I, this is a major problem. Like, we are just a, a an accumulation pattern recognizing creature. And that is very, very, very problematic in the internet age where everything is provable. And so now it's like you're never without the next example of uh of like like oh well this is happening oh well this is happening it's like by the time you get to the third thing whether or not it's a massive thing it's the third thing that you heard about about this one thing it's like like oh well uh uh, uh, uh you know now I can't say this word. And and now a kid got suspended for writing uh, this word in an essay. And now Joe Biden is uh, appointing somebody to the Department of Education that uh, has said in a tweet that this suspension was warranted. Now everything is collapsing and we're in 1984. Just because it's like repetition, repetition, repetition. Now it's not a random harmless thing. It is something that we've strung together in our own head. And a lot of it's just because we know about it. A lot of these things would have come and gone in another bygone era because we weren't in the right newspaper circulation. We weren't in the right, you know, the the the, te- the television editors around us didn't pick up that story. And so it just didn't get to us or it got to us so much later that it didn't hit in that narrative where like, you know, in social media. Boy, howdy, like it's built to find that yeah. narrative. It's built to find the like, well, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Yeah, I, I think, um, uh, first of all, to bring it back to James Carville, um, the this clash of um, hardcore, retrogressive, conservative bigotry and irritating, shrill wokeism um, is not emblematic of polling. Uh, the the polling of the United States is there's a political class and a media class that's hyper hyper polarized. Yeah, and everybody else is this melange of random stuff. Of like, I'm from West Virginia, sure would like more welfare. Also, I love guns. Like that's yeah. everywhere, and that also takes place socially. We're like. 85% of Americans think political correctness has gone too far, according to Pew. Also, 75% of Americans think hate speech is a problem. Like it's, yeah. there's actually like, like, and these, this might be contradictory, but it, it doesn't, it's not quite the binary that we're portrayed. The other thing that I'll add, I very much agree with everything you just said. Um, the media and social media both don't have the ability to tell you what to think, but they can tell you what to think. And I consider that all the time of, I, I I can form my own opinion, but I know that I am forced to form opinions by the stories that are routinely dragged in front of me. And I think culture war is a good example of that, yeah. of we want you to think about this thing and people should ask why. And then the other fascinating part of it is that like when the opposition medias become functional organisms to feed each other. Mm-hmm. Like it's very odd to me that when you go yeah. on, when, Wait, can, when, can I give you when, an when, example? When, like, like, I don't, I hear conservatives constantly talk about critical race theory. I've never had a progressive friend say the phrase critical race theory. It might, it might be a thing. Yeah. It might be a thing. I've literally never heard a progressive or Democrat say critical race theory in my entire life. And I, I know. I read a few things in the New York times and then that was it. I like, and I, I honestly don't know if it's like, is this a thing that they just don't know about? Or is it a thing that, is it a boogeyman that conservatives are cooking up? Same I honestly thing, don't know. Same thing with QAnon. QAnon, I very rarely heard conservatives talk about QAnon, but I sure as hell heard a lot of liberals that would talk about QAnon constantly. Like, like, like it was, 
There are just these elements where it's like you go on CNN's uh, YouTube channel, their top performing videos are summarizing Tucker Carlson's show on the other network. It's like, what are you even doing? Like you're creating <laughs> content commercials for your opposition because that's the most important thing. Is this guy said a dangerous thing? This guy said a wrong thing? Like our, our mocking of him, which only makes his words that much more powerful are, are ugh, I don't know. All right, Andrew Heaton, Political Orphanage. Uh, uh, any rad stuff coming up? Uh, let's see here. So there's an episode about to drop with Robert Jackman. The, the reason that I went off my tirade about Markle and, and, uh, and the Duke of Edinburgh earlier yeah. is tomorrow the program that's going to come on is me talking to a British guy about his experiences coming to America and that going was, like- Tomorrow is in Wednesday? Is in Wednesday. Okay, that's today. Then, then today. Then, then today, it's basically me talking to a British guy and us talking about freedom as it's understood between the two and like getting into Tocqueville and Locke and that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's very heady. And then I'll say, I think very pertinent to our conversation we just had, um, I just had on Musa Algarbi last week, uh, who I love and who I think is a great guy. Well, and anyone who's listening to this show loves Musa. So. He, he, Musa is fantastic. And we spoke for an hour about the managerial class and what we think since I'm a part of it. And it was a great conversation. So that's all over at the political orphanage and appreciate anybody who wants to toddle over. All right. And you're going to be in town for a- Till Sunday. Until Sunday. So hopefully we'll get you back on at least for Patreon stuff as well. Sounds good, man. Andrew Heaton, thank you so much. Thank you. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. One last thing before we go, though. Uh, California will indeed now semi-officially have a recall election. State government has confirmed that the recall petition does indeed have enough signatures the only thing that remains is a waiting period as people who have put their names and signatures on the petition now have a period of time to get their names off. That remains unlikely. And so Gavin Newsom will face a recall election one year before he is scheduled to run for re-election or whoever wins will win re-election. If you want to reach out to our guest today, Andrew Heaton, you can do so by going to px3guest.com. If you want to email me, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. You can find my Twitter, px3tweets. I'm live on Twitch. Get there at px3live.com, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Find the newsletter at px3newsletter.com. Share this podcast at px3podcast.com. And you can get our merch. Not only PX3 merch, but also the Red Hot COVID Shots Equal Body Shots T-shirt and tank top available to you at politicsmerch.com. Of course, you can uh, hit us off with a one-time donation. PayPal.me slash payjury. PX3 cash on Cash App. Our Venmo is Justin-Young-20. Of course, we love... 
to recognize our Venmo Buccaneers. Let's uh, 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 pick, geez, who do we go with? Tomas, Dan. How about Miles? Miles gave me 420. <laughs> but it was on April 22nd, but he gave me $4.20. So I like that. Uh, and as much as I appreciate whenever anybody gives me any kind of one-time donation, I will say that if you want bonus content, there's only one place to get it. And that's our Patreon, takepoliticsseriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week, covering all the news that we missed during our free podcast schedule. If you are an Andrew Heaton fan, I would encourage you to get on there this week because I'm going to see if I can get some Patreon content out of them as well. And of course, the $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the podcast like these fine folk, the Titanic $10 tier, including headphones, Neil, Dr. G, the other half of Whiskey Wednesday, Idris, the Government Unfiltered Podcast, 100 Mile Runner, Berkeley, Stephen, Kathy Mac, Zombie Doc, D, really? Methuselah, Honeythuckle, The Gen, Middle Age Mike, Cujo.com, Junkie, Calamity Zap, D Laser, Lord Scale, De Quince, and Neil Third, and Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Utah, Jimmy Montana, Appraisers are awesome, Snuffies off Route 44, Miranda Janelle, Jenny, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, Brad, Charles, Archie, David, Olin, and Angela, DL, Just Another Pilot, Frozen Summers, Jay Pink, and Andrew. You want your name right at the end of the show? Well, just this simple. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Support our Patreon. Recurring support is the lifeblood of this show. And that will be it for us today. Coming up a little bit later in the week, we've got a update on the New York City mayoral race. We will check back in with our New York City mayoral correspondent, Andrew Zarian. A lot of Andrews this week. Double A. Is Andrew Yang unstoppable? Last time we talked to Zarian, he felt like Yang would fall back to earth, but the opposite has happened thus far. Is it already too late for anybody else? We'll find out. Till next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that... Talk about Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.